Welcome, everyone, to the In-House Roundhouse, where in-house lawyers, outside counsel, and industry experts gather around to discuss current issues and best practices. I'm your host, Mark Henricus, a commercial litigator with Wombleban Dickinson. This episode's part of a series we're bringing to you throughout the rest of 2021, focused on the current and future state of the economy. And one area you can't avoid talking about in today's economy is real estate. And to help us explore that area, we have two very special guests. Charlie McCurry from our GC Solutions team is here with us today, as well as partner Nellie Shipley-Sullivan from our Atlanta office. And I'm excited to have them both with us. Nellie and Charlie, thanks so much for joining me today. It's great to be here. Thanks. Yeah, thank you, Mark. Let's let's dig right in. Um, I know real estate's a broad topic, and so uh, there's different things happening in different aspects of the real estate market. But I'm going to ask you to jump right in with an overview of what you see happening in your practice areas and with your clients. Nellie, can we just start with you? Give us an overview, and then we'll dig into some of the specifics. But I think so much is happening. I'd love you to kind of give us the the taste of the biggest changes that you're seeing. Sure, sure. And um, and you're right. Well, let, let's hit it at the high level and then we can dig in. At the high level, of course, real estate is a very broad category. There's lots of asset classes to look at. And um, where you are, it affects what's going on as well as what kind of real estate you're talking about. Industrial, for instance, is still very, very hot, setting records right now. Office has had a little bit more challenge. Um, sometimes I think there's a little bit more bad news than actual <laughs> problems out in the system, but it also depends very much on where you are. Um, apartments are still going very strong. And retail has had its challenges as it did prior to COVID and continues to have some, we're still seeing some conversions from retail into apartments, for instance. So those are a few areas that have sort of different impacts going on. Capital is also, by the way, an interesting topic as it affects real estate right now because there's so much capital chasing real estate, and that's not always so. Yeah, I think that's a great a great point, particularly with the interest rates where they are and the availability of capital. I think a lot of people are saying, where can we park this money to get a good rate of return? Charlie, how about you for an overview, and then we'll dive into some of the, some of the specific sectors and, and what we're seeing. Sure. Thanks, Mark. And, and again, thanks for having me. I agree with everything Nellie said. I, I would merely add to that that I think the the pandemic has accelerated or in many cases exacerbated the issues that we saw previous to the outbreak. So I, I think Nellie hit all the particular asset categories really well, recognizing that all real estate is local and you're Leverage as a tenant or a landlord is going to depend on on your market. But at the end of the day, I think if you have a, a willing buyer, a willing seller, a willing tenant, and a willing landlord, that deals are going to get done. And, and we're still seeing that, which is certainly good news. Great. Let me start with what may be the, the one that gets the most news. Nellie, I think you alluded to it, and that is office space. Everyone seems to have an opinion on what's happening to office space. To try to capture that, we ran a LinkedIn poll in advance of this um, podcast, and 56% of the respondents indicated they're planning to lease less office space over the next 6 to 12 months. 22% indicated no change, and then a smaller percent indicated an increase. And I know that hasn't necessarily been your 
what you're seeing, Nelly. And so uh, some of this may be local variation. Some of it may be perception over reality. But let, let's dig into what you think may be happening in the office space in particular and share some of your insights and experience. And I'll get you to chime in as well, Charlie. Sure, sure. I do think some of it has to do with where you are. The Sun Belt continues to be a big incoming area for businesses and workers. Just recently, last couple of days, the Atlanta newspaper ran a front page article on leasing, new leases and renewals uh, being very strong right now. And several of the big real estate firms have been putting out studies talking about the sublease market being uh, active and some of that sublease space being uh, gobbled up. That being said, if you're in certain uh, cities and other locations and you own an office building, you may be struggling a little bit more. But I do think there's a little bit of a disconnect going on. I don't think people know yet what they're going to do with their space. We're not over COVID yet. It's not really in the rearview mirror. And so we don't have all of the unintended consequences shaken out from this yet. And there's a little bit of a disconnect sometimes in how employees and employers are talking about return to the office and how agile it's going to be. And what does flexibility mean? Really, really remote all the time? Or does it mean just some of the time? And if it's just some of the time, then we're in an and world. And we've been talking about that for well over a year now is that if you think you're in an or world for investments, space or technology, you might be sadly disappointed to discover you're in an and world, you're going to spend money on both because really <laughs> what the workers want is agility, meaning sometimes in the office and sometimes not. That's a great that, that's a great point. And I know I, I do. I, clients are always asking me, what should we do? But they're also saying, what's everybody else doing? And I think there is this sense of, you know, what what is happening now and the sense of, well, some things are working well in a remote world, but also we're missing out a lot in the in-person world. And so figuring out the implications for office space is, is challenging. Charlie, when you look into your crystal ball about office space use in the future, what's your sense of where that trend is heading, whether it's the end-or continuum that, that Nelly mentioned or reimagining office space, what, what? what looks like? Yeah, I, I agree with Nellie's assessment here as well. I, I don't think it's going away. I think it is going to be an and world. I think we're going to see more use of technology. Obviously, we've all shown the ability to work remotely or work from home. I think that will continue, but we are missing that unintentional collaboration. Uh, we're missing those chance meetings. And, and I think there's, there's a lot of value in those. And I think companies are putting a premium on trying to make way for those conversations. It doesn't have to be all the time. And again, this is, I go back to my initial point of the, the pandemic either accelerating or exacerbating some of the issues that we're seeing. And I think this is true here in that companies were looking for flexibility before, uh, whether it be in their square footage whether it be in the length of their lease terms. I, I do think landlords need to be prepared for shorter terms, maybe more concessions. I have seen a, a lot of emphasis put on rights of first refusal for adjacent space. Um, you know, we're, we're still in the midst of this, really, and, and not just the pandemic, but the transition of work. I, I think the jury is still out in a lot of ways, and, and I think tenants are... Tenants in particular are going to demand of office landlords 
the ability to throttle up and throttle down as, as they need to. And, and again, I think if you have a willing tenant and a willing landlord, that there are possibilities to do that. Yeah, and one of the things you just said, Charlie, reminded me that um, one of the things that I think we're still wrestling with is what is the, the creation of the big resign with all of these people leaving? And there's a lot of different sure. factors that have been attributed to that. And again, that will depend on, you know, are you a waitress frustrated with being harassed and low pay and the like? But there are a lot of executives also going through the big resign right now. We're not necessarily hearing as much about it, but it's out there. And I wonder whether or not some of that is an unintentional consequence of not being around each other. Are people not as committed to their companies and the people that they work with? These are the kinds of things that we're not going to really know until we've been out of it and have come back to the office uh, a bit more and started to see, okay, we, we don't have as much of a gelling of the workforce as we felt like we had before. So I think companies should be cautious about what the workforce is going to be like. We spoke before as well about the fact that we don't really know what it's like to have a hybrid workforce outside of a pandemic. It's one thing for people to put their uh, shoulder to the grist mill and work really hard through it while we're dealing with the pandemic. But, you know, the joys of working from home when the school bus gets home at three o'clock in the afternoon are really different than <laughs> they are at noon when you just very true. and make lunch. Right. And so, you know, hybrid is is what it was during the pandemic. But we we still want to see what it's going to be like after after there's a more freedom to return to the office, shall we say. I, I think that's a wonderful point, Nellie. And I know whether I'm talking to other partners here at Womble or in-house lawyers, there is a concern that the totally remote has prioritized kind of the efficiency of just getting the work done and sacrificed a lot of important long-term objectives, whether it's mentoring, collaboration, culture, sense of connection. And, you know, I noticed that just we've started trying to come back, you know, a few days a week in our office and seeing other people and getting lunch and actually interacting in person is qualitatively different than it is on another WebEx or Zoom or, or team meeting. And I think I do worry that we've sacrificed a lot of long-term investments in helping people grow, helping them develop, making them feel committed. And, it's, and again, it's not just law firms. I think a lot of in-house departments are losing that connection of the sense of team working together side by side. I'm in the office late, you're in the office late, but you're building that connection. Now everyone's doing their own thing largely independently. Can the work get done? Yes. Are you building the sinew that will make for a rewarding environment where you have long-term employees? Maybe not. And I do think the uncertainty around that leaves a lot of question marks about, you know, do we want to give up our space and basically say we're never going to have that? Are there ways to reimagine the space where we can use it for collaborative work and mentoring, uh, but maybe not have everybody have an own office with a door? I mean, I think that's part of the real challenge. Well, and and the other thing is that the flip side of that, because you just phrased it from the employer point of view, is the employee point of view, which may also be emerging. We're now hearing that term FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. And that's, you know, that's an important piece of being in the office is who you are able to bump into accidentally or intentionally accidentally. Uh, one of the things we were talking about <laughs> before is, is that I'm looking forward to someone inventing much better technology to tell you who is in the office when and maybe even when you're going to be in the office if we're going to be more agile so that people can um, 
stalk each other, if you if you can use that <laughs> word, um, in a good way, um, because it has always been important to figure out who you can go talk to around the corner, not just for going and having lunch because you both happen to be in, but those accidental conversations when you run into each other that are helpful not only for the enterprise, but for the individual, whether you're uh, the mentor, learning what's going on with your mentee, or whether you're the mentee and you want to get up with the person who knows what's going on these days and is in a position to teach you things. I think that's great. Your, your mention of technology makes me think of some of the hoteling technology. And again, for listeners that aren't familiar with it, the idea is you don't have an assigned office, but you have offices available for people coming in. Some companies, Deloitte's one I'm familiar with, there's an app where you can, you know, 10 minutes before you get to the office, say I'm coming in and it will say, okay, you're assigned to office 105 and we'll set it up and, you know, have stuff ready for you. And, and in theory, at least could notify other people that, hey, Mark's going to be in office 105 uh, today or for the next four hours to get that information. I'm interested in, from both of you on whether the idea of hoteling, in other words, moving away from the designated office space to some kind of shared model, is a trend we'll see more of. Was that happening pre-pandemic? And what are the implications of that model for some of the collaborative mentoring type interactions we've been talking about? Charlie, what, let me get your thoughts on that. Sure. Um, I, I think the quick answer to that, Mark, is yes. Well, I think we'll see more of that. I, I do think it's helpful in the office context, um, but that depends on the company. It depends on the culture. It depends on the industry. I think for a large company with a big footprint in a central business district, that for somebody like Deloitte or the WeWork model is an attractive one. And I think for a lot of companies that will work. On the other hand, I think startups may hedge against that and have all of their folks coming in because they need that collaborative time is so much more, and of course I'm generalizing here, but that collaborative and early stage building and momentum, I think is very much driven by, Mark, your point about, hey, we're all here late and we're all in this together and we're drinking the Kool-Aid and moving forward with our mission. Um, so I, I think it's a, yes, we'll see more of that. Yes, I see a lot of utility in that. But I think it really depends on the nature of, of your particular company and what you're trying to accomplish and what your industry looks like right now. Because one size doesn't fit all. And, and that's not an easy answer. But I, I would encourage and I have encouraged clients to not rush to judgment here. And to Nellie's point earlier, it's not a zero-sum game choice between fully remote and fully back in the office. It can be one thing right now and one thing next quarter, and and then you know thinking about your two, three, and five-year plans, and and that's okay. So almost having that mental flexibility uh, for folks making real estate decisions, I think, is probably paramount at this point. Yeah, Charlie, I think you're right. I think flexibility is so key right now. I think that's the real challenge. If you're looking at renewing or getting a new lease right now, yeah. um, or if you're the landlord offering the space, is that the flexibility is the hardest thing to draft around. And yet it's the one thing everyone needs, because even within the same type of company, you know, we were just starting to get flexible in terms of hoteling, hot bunking, those kinds of things. And even then, the policies were not necessarily consistent about how you did it. In some places, you didn't have an assigned office, but you were expected to be on site. So 
there was some remoteness that was allowed, but not full remoteness. And those companies were doing that, you know, minutes before the pandemic and then found out that, okay, some offsite does actually work. And as I was speaking before, Mark alluded to the fact that we already do have some technology that tells you who's on site where and gets which office. What we don't have is predictive analytics. We don't have people who are used to even committing to saying, okay, this day I'm going to be in the office and this day I'm not. And then being able to use that information so that people around you can figure out, okay, who ought to be where, who ought to meet with whom, how much of our space is getting utilized, you, you know, how much coffee do we need to make today because we got a full <laughs> surge of people coming in or not, how we get used to that as workers and with the technology is all still yet to come because it was so nascent in the first place to start being more flexible and the ways we were doing it were different. So I think there's still a lot that we're trying to learn and the flexibility is just going to be super key. I, I actually think that as to the poll, we're going to need less space. The 56% answered. So that's the that's the large majority, right? Because there were four, we're going to lease more space, less space, needs won't change, or don't know. So four areas you could answer, and 56% said less. And I feel like that's probably so all the way until the minute when we get everybody wanting more space <laughs> because they start to say, Oh my gosh, I've got people who are coming back into the workforce because they resigned because they were miserable during COVID with the you know company that they didn't feel any camaraderie with. And we're hiring now and um, we need more teamwork and our training has suffered and you know all these other things. So I, I think we may actually see the market still show a little bit of softness in the leasing area. But boy, I just, I'm sure looking forward to what kind of activity we're going to have two to three years from now. It's We're going to be busy. Yeah, Nellie, that's a, that's a great point. And I'm looking at this poll too, thinking, I mean, this, this meets with my expectation about what's going on out there. And obviously this is not scientific, but uh, it, it makes sense that folks would be expecting less space, but less space could mean just a little bit less space, maybe not a lot of less space. And, I, you know, what I'm thinking there is Mark's question about hoteling, you know, collaborative space, you know, more emphasis on conference room space. But again, I, I think that depends on your industry and your company and what you're good at and what your what weaknesses you're trying to address. So, you know, I think for the typical office tenant, if we're generalizing, that it makes sense to have a little bit less space, but a little bit less space might just be something more efficient where you're not really giving up that much. You're just maybe reorganizing and you need, if you work with an architect or a space planner, they can tell you, given how you use your office space right now, here's how you should design it. And, and, and I think that may be time and money well spent as well. Yeah, it's great. Is anybody looking at redesigning space to take advantage or make it more useful in a hybrid setting. I think, to me, one of the real frustrations about getting into a situation where some people are in the office and some are at home is if you try to have a meeting with five people, three live and two, you know, virtual, there's no good way to do it. In fact, I've often resorted to just say, everyone go to your own office and get on a laptop so we can all talk because otherwise the three people that are there are interacting, but the others are just little dots on a screen. They're left out. You feel like you're, you know, you're not engaged, but I've got to believe there's a better way to take advantage of the fact that you've got some live participation. I don't know if that's a tech solution, uh, a real estate solution, or where that comes in, but I'd love it if you guys have any thoughts on that challenge, because I'm hearing that more and more. Yeah, I, I've certainly heard about 
the return being a shift in the use of space, which again continues a trend from beforehand that the office sizes shrink, but the collaborative spaces get bigger and more agile as well. So you can have impromptu meetings and the like. I also think that technology is going to jump in there because right now we don't have really great technology for entering a conference room and having multiple screens with various faces on them for people who are remote in the room. So you don't feel like you have a presence there. If, for instance, all the remote people are on one little laptop and they're the little tiny boxes, then that doesn't work well, as you just pointed out. But if you could imagine yourself in a room with um, almost surrounded by different screens showing different people in different locations, that might allow for a little bit more agile conversation and meetings to occur. So the technology would need to catch up with what we're actually doing. I, I agree with that, Nellie. And I, I would even take it a, a step further and say, from a space planning perspective, which is not my expertise, but having worked with those folks, having different types of office environments within a particular space. So if you're leasing out a a floor of a building, if you're in-house counsel, you need an office door that you can close and maintain confidentiality and, and focus on the work that you're doing. On the other hand, your sales folks may need to be in the room together to brainstorm different targets and you know go through their metrics and things like that. So I, I think having different types of space within the office space is also going to be beneficial. And, and that's, I, I think, something we were already starting to see before the pandemic. And I think we'll see more of. Um, so again, I think that's an opportunity for just efficient and effective office layouts that are different than um, like a, a traditional law firm, for example. Yeah, I think so. Charlie, I know you've got kind of a unique perspective. You you served as in-house counsel like many of our listeners, um, but now you're with our GC Solutions team, so you're working with those folks. You've got, you know, two preschool kids, and you're fully remote. In fact, I think you've been remote since you joined Womble, <laughs> so you've not had that in-office yeah. experience. I'm, I'm interested from your personal perspective where you see things going, kind of this remote uh, versus in-office view. You know, just, just share a little bit about your experience there and I guess your your personal view on where things are going, should go, uh, because I think we've got you know, a lot of listeners that may be in a similar situation. Yeah, thanks, Mark. I'm happy to talk about that. I, I must say when Womble approached me with this opportunity, I was very hesitant I, I have a history with the firm. This is my second tour with the firm and have a lot of good friends and colleagues at the firm. And it was something that I was very interested in doing general counsel type work, but with a firm that I care about and, and remain familiar with. But I'm a social guy. I, I like the the office banter. I, I like interacting with folks. I certainly love being a mentee and a mentor. And I was very hesitant. It's all pre-pandemic, of course. And so I hesitated for some time before taking this role because it was fully remote. Having said that, Mark, I have not looked back. I have been pleasantly surprised at um, on a number of fronts. The technology has, has been really good. The, you know, the firm has done a great job of giving me the tools that I need to succeed. Um, I'm really impressed with the team that I work with. We are all former in-house counsel attorneys, and you know the, the perspective that each of us brings is 
somewhat unique and then also somewhat similar. And, and so that's been wonderful. And then, uh, you know, our clients have appreciated the uh, savings that we can pass along to them in, in saving our, some of our overhead expenses. Um, it's been a behavioral change for sure, for me in particular, but I think all of us would say that, that we have to be more intentional about those unintentional interactions and, and those collaborations. So as before in an office environment, I would get up and walk down the hall and put my head in offices and say hello to people and ask how their kids are doing. I do that now. I just don't physically get up and do that. I, I make a point to send an email, send a text, make a phone call, you know, arrange a, a Zoom meeting. Uh, we, we have gotten together in real life as time, geography, and pandemic allow. But I think, you know, part of that is is just a a willingness to change and a willingness to be flexible. And um, it, it really has been a blessing for me. It's been great for my family. As Nellie said, when the, the kids get home, it's uh, it's a totally different ball game. And <laughs> But we, we plan around that and, and they've been wonderful and they understand that mom and dad have to work and um, that that's important too. So I must say, great experience with Womble, but I think working remotely as an attorney is, is something that you can do. If, if it suits your practice and it is conducive to your personality, I think it's something that, that we can do. And, and again, it goes back to the willingness to be flexible and the willingness to understand that not one size fits all. Um, you know, we're all individuals, but then each company is different too. And so I think it's going to take some, some patience and some deep diving on, you know, what's best for your company or maybe the group within your company. One of the things that, um, you just said made me think about one of the things that I think that companies are going to start thinking about or hearing, uh, bring back lunch. <laughs> okay, you saved money over the pandemic. You spend it on the technology maybe, but you didn't spend it on those lunches, but bring back lunch. You bring yeah. back the food, the employees will come back in. <laughs> That's the day they'll show up in the office because the day you have a meeting that includes lunch. And I say that, somewhat jokingly, because frankly, in Atlanta, one of the traditions we had prior to the pandemic was making sure that the GC Solutions folks that were located in Atlanta came to some of our lunches where we were planning various things, whether it was client development or something else. And that was a good social way to catch up with, what are you working on? What are you guys even doing? Exchanging ideas, even exchanging ideas about marketing to in-house counsel, <laughs> right? Because if you've got a group of people that have been in that role, they can tell you, yeah, no, that idea is not going to float, you know, <laughs> or, hey, that's great. I would have really loved that as an in-house counsel if you did that kind of thing. And that's an exchange that you don't have an opportunity for easily unless you have intentional meetings with each other. And lunch was such a good way to do that before. So I think we'll really see much more return to the office when we see the return to lunch. Yeah, Nellie, that's a, that's actually a great point. I, I didn't take that uh, as a joke at all. I think that's absolutely right. One thing that I've learned about myself is, uh, as I alluded to, is that I, I need that outlet. You know, I, I want that social time, but that social time is, is not only sociable, which is important just for that reason, but also because it gives me an opportunity to check in with my clients and check in with my colleagues. And, and again, to your point, what are you working on? And what, you know, what war stories do you have to tell? And, you know, I think we all, take a lot from that, either personally or professionally or both. So I, I've recently myself started to say, okay, 
I'm going to get back on my, my lunch schedule and, and reach out to friends and clients and just get back in touch with people. And, and that's been a nice balance to focusing really intently on the work at home when, when it's quiet and, and, and I'm not bothered. So yeah, I, I do think it's, a, it's about just kind of learning that behavior again. Yeah. And keeping up on the trends, right? Because we can all end up in our own lane and think, okay, I'm really seeing this happening. And it's really nice to be able to check in with other people and say, are you also seeing this happening? Right. Maybe I'm reading about it, maybe not. Sometimes I trust some of those sources and sometimes I don't to at least be predictive or not. You know, maybe they're reflecting what's really going on, but you don't necessarily know where you're going. But the more you're talking with other practitioners that are in that same space, the more you're finding out, yeah, okay, this is a thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, capital is there. It is showing up to the table and it's the equity sources. It's the traditional lenders. It's everywhere all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> that's kind of, and that's, interesting when you find it's not just your deals but other deals that are going on too and 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 that lending is becoming aggressive right that they're really going after the deals right now okay <laughs> cool <laughs> but also a little different <laughs> yeah nelly i wanted you to touch on something that we chatted a little bit in advance of the podcast and that is some of the lease terms and in particular what you're seeing around treatment of covid either pandemics generally or covid uh, i imagine it comes up most frequently in the retail lease context where you're saying hey what are we going to do if we have a shutdown and we're unable to operate uh, but what what do you see as trends and i guess for our listeners that may be looking at leases and other things what what are some of the factors to consider around what are sometimes referred to as covid COVID clauses. Right, right. Well, and again, it's going to vary remarkably by asset class. You know, office, that's the area where people talk about whether the usage is going to change significantly and companies saying we're going to lease less space and that kind of thing. But the truth is, if you could send everyone home and work remotely, you weren't nearly as stressed as an industry, whatever that employer was as the one who had to shut down and not actually operate. So there's a little bit of a distinction there because the landlords of retail space where you can't sell what you're supposed to be selling if you can't operate the store have a very different kind of tenant relationship than the offices who are looking at their employers and saying, you may not be able to use your space the way you want to use it all the time, but you're still making money. You're not stressed financially to be in the space. So there's a little bit of that distinction that's that's still going on. And that's what Charlie was talking about with the acceleration as well, right? Malls were a little bit stressed beforehand, so to speak, and uh, very much more stressed when COVID hit. And, and some of those effects we're still seeing, they're turning into other things uh, like multifamily, like corporate campuses in uh, North Carolina and that kind of thing as well. But to your question about leases, there are people that are drafting around them. I, I see more in terms of the terms of how they want to use their space. I think everyone has gone through the whole force majeure clause and thrown in COVID-19 or pandemic if it wasn't already in there. But I don't know that that changed a lot about what their analysis was in their individual situations. And one of the things that I think that we're seeing that people need to be careful about is that in deals generally, if you draft too closely around COVID-19, you may be missing the trend that's coming out of COVID-19. And, you know, who knows where we're going to be with vaccines and where COVID is and, and the like. But 
some of the trends are going to be with us for a while. So that's where I would tell people to be cautious is not to be super focused on throwing the word COVID-19 in or whatever word you use for it. Charlie, how about you? Yeah, Nellie, I totally agree. I, I think there is a danger in narrowly tailoring language, whether it's in a force majeure clause or somewhere else in a lease of speaking just to COVID-19 for a number of reasons. And, and you hit on them. I, I, you know, I think most force majeure clauses that I've seen have been well drafted to, you know, catch government regulations. You know, so a, a government mandated shutdown, for example, or um, in terms of the number of folks coming into your retail space, or if you're an essential business, I, you know, I think I think well drafted leases already covered that. At least in in my opinion, they did. I think now we're seeing, and and thank you for bringing up the acceleration component again. I, I think on the industrial warehousing side, we're seeing so much more of those deals get done because folks are at home and they're demanding things that they need show up at their door. So the e-commerce stuff is, is just happening faster and faster, which it would have anyway, but I think the pandemic has, has pushed that along. And then from a retail perspective, we're seeing more and more tenants get caught in construction issues, either through labor shortages or, uh, Nellie, I know you talked about in our previous conversation about supply chain issues being a problem before and, and now, as I said earlier, exacerbated by the pandemic. So I, I think maybe not necessarily drafting around those, but coming into the negotiations with a landlord or with a tenant, knowing that is, is going to be helpful to both sides. And again, I think where you have a willing tenant a, a good credit tenant that wants the space, that wants to operate, and a landlord that says, hey, this is a good tenant. I'd rather have a tenant in my space operating even at um, reduced capacity than, than having that space stay empty or rolling the dice and returning that space to market. I think both sides' willingness to work with one another is, is what I've seen, and, and I think that trend will continue. Yeah, and it's a, it really is a difference between the kinds of asset classes that were much more stressed during COVID than the ones that weren't, right? Like it's just not an issue in multifamily leases or even deals where you're selling apartment complexes and the like. Um, industrial, as we said, was just, it's setting records. And so, I mean, if you're a tenant who bargains too hard on an industrial space, you're going to lose the space. <laughs> and there's a couple of reasons for that. You pointed to what's going on with the supply chain and people needing the space and the like. So there's huge tenant pressure. There's a lot of pressure to have much more warehouse space for a variety of reasons, but there's also aggressive capital. Capital isn't requiring that the landlord lease up the space as fast as they used to have to do. So if you're the landlord, you not only have a queue of tenants that are going to come behind, but you don't have to lease up as fast under your loans and your other capital arrangements. So, you know, those are places where if a tenant comes to us, if I'm representing the landlord and wants to bargain too hard on any of it, yeah, you want to throw in something about COVID, fine. We'll we'll throw a toss away in. But don't <laughs> don't try to work in something that, well, first of all, is it really relevant? How much of it is really going to affect your use of your space? But boy, come to the table with a few things you really need out of that lease because I'm seeing landlords move on from tenants. You're too much trouble. I'm moving on to someone else. That's not a typical kind of market. 
Yeah, well, you you hit on it, Nelly. The it's inventory in the industrial and warehousing space. We just don't have enough. I I, I say we don't have enough about. I'm thinking about uh, my home here in the Triad in Winston Salem, North Carolina. You know, the secondary and tertiary markets need more of this warehousing space, and it can't be built fast enough. And I think that mirrors the trend on the the family multifamily and housing side as well. That we need more of those assets, not fewer. Whereas retail and office is a little a little flatter. Yeah, it, it's funny because people were very very early on a little bit worried about apartments, right? Because everyone was leaving the city, and so that's where you assumed a lot of the apartments were. Now they were always suburban apartments, but people were moving into houses because they wanted more of the isolation because the pandemic was scary by being around other people. And so then housing prices started surging. And guess what? Apartments have not gone away at all. Um, So I saw some statistics recently. The apartment uh, projects as a whole are selling for about 18% over pre-pandemic levels. Now that competes with warehouses, which their property values were up 41% of the pre-pandemic levels. I mean, to tell you, that is a big, that's a big increase. But even from the tenancy point of view, the renewals are up about 5 to 10% in rates. And if you're signing a new lease, it could be 40% more than it was before. So I don't know where you tell your kids to go live because buying a house is super expensive, but the apartments are expensive too. That that asset class has not uh, started to shrink and there's still huge need for it. You hear about the need for housing, of course, and so that's part of it. But I do recall people being a little bit concerned about what was going to happen to multifamily properties real early on. And that's that's not borne out at all, which which leads to the conclusion that we were saying earlier, which is be careful. Flexibility is really important because we don't know how things are going to shake out after the pandemic. We're not after it yet. And things are still changing and trends are still emerging and sort of building at this point. then we'll do their normal wash back a little bit. And so we're, we're still seeing some of that kind of thing moving around. I know we're, we're almost at the end of our time, but I want to give you each a chance to kind of give either, either a wrapping uh, up remark or final tip or maybe a projection on where things are going. So, Charlie, let me let you start. Any final parting tips for your fellow in-house lawyers or other people uh, you know, that you'd want to leave them with or, or a prediction of what we may see over the next couple of years? Yeah, thanks, Mark. And, and thanks for this opportunity. It's been fun. Um, I love talking about these sorts of things. And, and this is the fun part of my practice. So um, thanks to you all. And, I, you know, I would say we've, we've hit on it a couple of times, and, and that's flexibility. I, I continue to advise my clients to uh, be open and willing to examine not only their relationship with their real estate needs, and so their landlord, or if they want to be an owner-occupant, I, I think with interest rates, what they are, now is a good time to do that as well. We haven't really talked about that today. But if you're a, a potential owner-occupant, I think it's a great opportunity to do some of that financial analysis now. Also, not just your relationship with real estate, but just examine what's best for your company. And you know that, that will vary from industry to industry, from small to large. Uh, from young to old, from uh, a lot of different perspectives. And and I think that will come in the forms of a lot of different variables. I think the, the race for talent right now is really, really tight. 
uh, my understanding is it's a great time to be a, a candidate, to be a great time to be an employee. And I, I don't think that's a bad thing at all, but I, I think companies of all sizes have got to be aware of that and their real estate strategies have to be cognizant of that too. I think if you're trusting your employees to accelerate and make your business successful, then you've got to listen to them and you've got to respond to their needs. And um, there will be trends in that, but then there there won't be a one-size-fits-all scenario. I I think a, a willingness to say, well, Charlie wants to work remotely, we can make that work. And Nellie wants to be in the office five days a week and we can make that work too. And you can design a real estate strategy around that. It will be more work and more time consuming than it used to be. But um, I do think that's possible. And and I think those are conversations worth having. So again, that flexibility and that willingness to examine your company and, and your group uh, internally is is going to be the key, and those will be the winners that that come out of this season for sure. Great advice, great advice, Nelly. We'll give you the last word. <laughs> well, thanks. Uh, this kind of thing is is as Charlie said, fun. It's informative. It's it's really critical to us because checking in with each other is the way you figure out what's a trend and what's a fad, and. You know, you don't know what is until you, well, until you've lived it sometimes, but a lot of times checking in with other people helps you figure that out. And there's a context to everything, right? That's one of the most important things that we do as lawyers is pay attention to both the details, the fine print, the small aspects, and the big picture, because everything's happening in the context of the big picture, and including the things that that Charlie was just talking about. Um, Workers know they're in an employee-friendly environment right now. And so the way those trends change, among other things, is that they stop feeling like they're in an employee-friendly environment. If you are thinking about the big resign, you're more willing to do it in an environment where you can go get another job as soon as you want to go get another job. That's a positive feedback loop that's feeding this trend right now. And at some point, some of that will turn the corner a little bit but you have to keep checking in with each other to hear about, so what's going on at the macro level so that you can tell, is this trend speeding up or is it slowing down? Uh, even the ones that you know are happening because it's not where the puck is, it's where the puck is gonna be. And that's what we need to help the clients figure out. Same thing with context with, with capital right now, right? Is that the traditional lenders are more aggressive and that's not an accident that it's happening in the context of, Uh, non-traded REITs having set a record for capital raises in this last year. If there's more money out there, then there's less competition for it. And so they got to be more aggressive. And then you want to pay attention to, and is that environment continuing or not? Is this a trend that's continuing or is it becoming more of a fad? So this kind of opportunity to talk to each other and find out what we're hearing is is really helpful. And um, I appreciated people who answered the poll. I really appreciate people who check in with us and share with us what they're seeing. Even the people who check in and say, I'm not sure I'm seeing it the same way. Fantastic. Let us know that. We want to know if something is um, is different in your world than what we're seeing, because it's really an important part of us making sure that we're operating very much in the real world for ourselves and for our clients. 
Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, Charlie. Thank you, Nellie. That does bring us to the end of the show. You can find more information about Nellie and Charlie, including their contact information, at our website, WombleBondDickinson.com. That's also where you can subscribe to this podcast or find former episodes. You can also find them on the iTunes Store, Google Play Store, or SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions or comments about this episode or ideas for future episodes, please let me know via LinkedIn or Twitter. Thanks for listening. This has been the In-House Roundhouse. See you at the next station.